Good morning, everybody. If you'd like to make your way in, we would love to see your face in here. Have you worship with us this morning? Good morning, good morning. Everybody have a good week? All right, well, good to see everybody. If you're joining us online, we're honored to have you with us. And uh, let us know you're here. Say hi, Richard's online. If To be a blessing any way he can. You'll see at the bottom of the feed, on the bottom right corner, there's a link that says prayer request. Once you know that is private and secure, it is not shared with any other individuals. So if there's anything we can be praying about, let us know. But uh, let Richard know you're there and say hi, so we're honored you're with us this morning. Uh, just a few things uh, coming up. Uh, remember, we, uh, we had to cancel the car wash Friday for obvious reasons. So uh, the Lord wanted to postpone that for another date for some reason. But uh, so we will get with you. Do we have it he rescheduled? gave everybody a free car wash on Friday. Well, we got a free car wash Friday, so you didn't have to pay. <laughs> so is it rescheduled? Yes, May the 26th? this Friday. This, this Friday. Friday, okay, yeah, May the twenty sixth. It's not supposed to rain. It's right not now. supposed to rain, according to Rhonda. So, uh, so May the twenty sixth, this Friday, four to seven. Mark your calendar. Stop by and uh, be a blessing to our children for your their camp car wash, and uh, get a car wash out of it. And then uh, camp itself is uh, June the twelfth through the fifteenth. We just again continue to ask you and encourage you to be praying for our children uh, as we prepare for that. Also, as far as the Camp Car Wash, we still have the fundraiser in the lobby with the envelopes on the wall with the numbers on it. 
uh, just correlate the number on the envelope, what they're asking for, donation, drop that money or check in there, make sure the check's written to the church and just put it in the offering plate. Or if it's afterwards, just give it to one of the ministry leaders or you can give it to Rhonda and that'll get... Uh, you can also donate online. Oh, okay, we can donate I online too on our webpage. You go to cfchurchtx.com. If you're online and want to be a blessing that way, our webpage is cfchurchtx.com. At the top, you'll see giving, and it'll prompt you through that very easy. There's ways to give online on that as well. So uh, then we have a camp meeting. Uh, no, we don't. We have yeah. church We have uh, church spring cleaning. Uh, June the 3rd, that will be at 9 a.m., this is a, a big project. We need everybody to pitch in, show up, roll up your sleeves, as they say. We're going to be doing a lot of reorganization. We've come to the point now we've kind of maximized downstairs storage. And so we are re, uh, reevaluating that, getting some things moved upstairs, getting shelving in so we can make better use of the space that we do have downstairs on the things we access on a weekly basis. So show up that morning, uh, we'll do some church cleaning, but it's going to be more organization and planning of the church, so we need everybody's help for that. And then uh, then our camp meeting uh, will be here, there'll be Sunday uh, the 28th, uh, immediately following church. We're asking all parents and kids to be in participation. So if you have even uh, plans or thoughts at uh, children or grandchildren to go to camp, Again, uh, the 28th, immediately following church, there will be a meeting with details also, on that. Also, the last day to fill out your paperwork for the kids to go to camp, it, to turn in the paperwork, is May 28th. Okay. So, um, but we need all parents and kids to be at the meeting um, to learn about all things camp. Good deal. So, any questions about that, let Rhonda know, but mark your calendar for that. And uh, I believe... Uh, uh, I'm hoping, Richard, have you seen Aaron online by chance? We got a gentleman, okay, we got a gentleman we want to say hi to if he showed up, but uh, he'll probably be joining us shortly. But uh, I think that is it. You got a good message? Yes, sir. Yes. He does. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they're watching us online, faithfully as they do. Uh, as uh, Brother Lloyd said, John Rohair has a blockage in his esophagus, making it very difficult for him to basically, he can't eat. Has lost a lot of weight, but kind of what's going on is some complications with it. So they're in the process of figuring how they can get around that and get that cleared out for him. But keep John in prayer for sure. And uh, keep Aaron in prayer that we prayed about last week as he's struggling with uh, fluid on the heart and that uh, the doctors would you know be a blessing to him and God would open doors for him to get that taken care of so I believe that's it if we'll have our men come forward and we'll pray over our service this morning and our offering Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for another wonderful day. Thank you for all the your servants that are here to hear your word today. Let each of us get what you have in store for us. Bless Todd as he gives the message. We want to pray for 
John and, and Aaron and everybody that can't be with us today for their, your healing. We know that by your stripes we are healed, and we're asking for that, and we know that everything within your will we're asking for, God. We thank you so much for the blessings that you bestow upon us on a daily basis. We know that it's all yours, and we're just here for a short time using it, and we thank you so much for that. Bless the gift and the giver today. Let's proceed forth and spread the word that we receive and keep it on our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. We're going to continue our time of worship this morning.
we couldn't didn't have enough light not to fall over trees not to get eat up with briars and not to have a lot of things happen to us get knees and everything else but man when we broke through the trees and we saw that bonfire because that was for cell phones and stuff <laughs> we were so glad to be in the light we could look at our wounds we could look at everything that happened to us and we could fix it up we could get the bandages and and back then it was monkey blood that was the mercurochrome <laughs> put all that stuff on burn yourself alive but you got patched up and when god talks about in his word when he talks about binding up our wounds he's talking about that and the only way you can get that happen is to come to the light see we're not responsible to fix everything that happened to us but we're responsible to seek the healing that God provides in us. Uh, uh, Craig Groeschel said that. That's not original with me. But man, it's on us. Let's come to the altar. His arms are open wide. Get in the light. That's all you can do with darkness is bring light to it. So get to the light. Pray in the light. Bring the light in your home if there's darkness there. And God will reveal and expose what needs to happen. So let's pray.
Till every dark addiction starts to break. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your Jesus is life. Amen. There's no life outside of it. If uh, it's great to see everybody in Sunday school this morning, if you didn't have the opportunity to make it, it was one of those mornings why we all needed to be there. We talked about that specifically. There's no life outside of Jesus. 
Brother Brad took us through Ecclesiastes or Ecclesiastes 6, which is going to tie right into our message this morning. But Ecclesiastes 1, we're familiar with vanity. How often the word vanity, Solomon uses that word. And as Brother Brad illustrated, that word vanity means like a vapor, a mist, something you can't grab a hold of. It's like trying to grab the wind was the illustration. And that's what life is. Life is a vanity. And it becomes so when you miss the power of Jesus. Because only Jesus makes life purposeful, makes life meaningful. And only Jesus can make life eternal. Without Jesus, everything's temporal. Amen? This morning, we are going to look at 2 Corinthians for a verse. And that verse is going to direct us towards Ezekiel. And... Uh, I love the book of Ezekiel as well as many others. But listen to this statement. And uh, when when I sat down early this week, uh, this thought, just I read a verse and a thought came to my mind. And it's, I said this, our Holy Spirit revealed this. It's scary to know that the Father lets me be me. Do we not have free will? Yes, we have free will by God's design. Because without free will, we really can't define eternal love if it's mandatory, if it was controlled by God. God is love. God is beyond proportionate, overflowing with his love. But when it comes to our reciprocating our love to him, it has to pass by and through our free will. Hence, when we do, then we know it's true love because it was willful. So... Under that thought that the Holy Spirit gave me, it's scary to know that the Father, in light of my His free will, lets me be me. And yet, what's even scarier to me is when I think it's okay for me to be me. Hear what I just said? It's scary to even know that we can be us It should scare us even more when we find ourselves, we think it's okay to be us. In Ezekiel 36, we're going to look at a passage here. We're going to see that the Father promises Israel their salvation, their deliverance from their situation. But yet what's interesting is the Father makes it abundantly clear that he's not doing it because of them. The Father's motive for saving man is not found in man. The Father saves man not because man's sinful needs a Savior, but in spite of man's sin, not because we deserve it, because that's the way God designed it. There's purpose, great purpose, in the way God brought about our salvation. Was it needful? Yes. At the beginning, was it required? No. But we're going to see in Genesis, or you see in Genesis, Father being omnipotent, he was foreknowing and acknowledging there's coming a time that we will need salvation, but it's, we'll chase rabbits here, but it, it gets into his eternal design to bring order out of chaos, to restructure his creation in lieu of what the fallen angels corrupted. So salvation is not just because of man. It's in spite of man. So let's pray and we'll get into it this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather to freely 
come before you and to worship you, Father. We ask that you anoint us this morning, grow us in your grace. Holy Spirit, anoint every word that's spoken and prepare our hearts for your truth. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. If you would, stand with me this morning. And our foundational verse will come out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And of course, uh, if you read through the letters that Paul wrote to the church of Corinth, uh, 1 Corinthians was very heavy laden, very direct. It called their sins out and really chewed them up and spit them out in a sense. So he comes back in 2 Corinthians, and, and now he's exhorting them. He's encouraging them that even though they were doing wrong, they still have God's love and God's direction. So we're here and see in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So read with me, if you would, aloud. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Amen. Thank you. Believers, by this word, we know by way of our salvation through Christ, believers become new on the inside. Now, the problem is we don't get to see the inside, do we, when we look at other believers, when we look at Christians. But it is promise, and we're new because we have been uh, redesigned. We're a new creation by way of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us. And it's that Holy Spirit that gives us this new life. And thus, we're not the same anymore. Now, at first, we may walk the same way, talk the same way, act the same way, you know, irregardless of the Holy Spirit's dwelling with us inside of us, but we have not tapped into that power yet. And so we're really living in the flesh still. We haven't grown in our sanctification or regeneration. So we're not reformed. We're not rehabilitated. We're not re-educated. We're just recreated. That's all we are. We've been cre recreated as new creators living in the vital union now with Christ. Uh, if you want to jot down Colossians 2, 6 through 7, makes reference to that. But at conversion, we do not merely just turn over a new leaf, do we? Well, I'd be, well, I mean, wouldn't that be nice if God would just would have said, the only thing you have to get right is salvation. And, and that's a miracle in and of itself. If, if we just got saved and we just became this new creature and we quit saying the things we said and quit thinking the things we think and doing the things we do, Wow, that'd been a blessing. But yet we live in a fallen world. And we are still what we are. We still have that old nature. We still have, as the verses say, that traveler that plagues us and walks with us daily and sleeps with us nightly. But we are a new creation. So with this conversion, we don't turn over a new leaf, but what we do is we begin a new life in Christ and through Christ by way of the Holy Spirit. There's a passage that's drawn from Malachi chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. You're probably more familiar with it. Paul speaks it in Romans chapter 9. Uh, I believe it's uh, 13, if I remember. But uh, Malachi said this. He says, Jacob I love, Esau I hate. Now that's one of those verses that make you scratch your head, does it not? Well, wait a second. I thought God wasn't a respecter of man. I thought, how could God hate? I thought God's love. Well, he is, and he's not a respecter of men. Okay, you know, what we got to take to our understand here that God didn't hate Esau. God's referring to Esau being the leader in of the tribe of, of, uh, of who, Edom. My mind went blank there for a second. Of the tribe of Edom. 
And so what God's alluding to, that he has a problem with the way the Edomites are living. He's not pinpointing Esau. He's just giving direction through Esau, is the leader of, the, of Edom. And so his reference is to a lifestyle, a choice, a pattern that is taking place by this group of people compared to Jacob and the clan that he led. So the point being, God didn't hate Esau. It was the people of Edom, Edom God had a problem with. His choice for choosing Jacob, who eventually became Israel, did he not, after he wrestled with the Lord, became Israel over Esau being Edom, was made on the basis of his sovereign purpose, not the inherent worth of these two men. We know that because did God not bless Esau? Yeah, God blessed Esau immensely, greatly. Okay, so the point being, we need to ask ourselves then, how did God manifest his love towards Jacob and this hatred or this wrath would be the translation towards Esau and towards Edom? And if we catch this, we'll find a truth later on that'll make a lot of sense for us. Because it's very helpful to understand how much the Father loves us, how much of a role the Father wants in our lives. So we look here. He blessed Esau with wealth and power. Esau was a great leader. He was a great nation. He blessed Esau as he told Esau he would. So how is it the Father's hatred was manifested towards Esau? Catch this now. Listen to this. The Father never discipline Esau or Edom we don't see it in the scriptures we know what they how they chose to live and in God's sovereign will God let them live that way back to my statement it's scary to think that God lets me be me it's even scarier that sometimes I think it's okay for me to be me God let Esau be Esau. Plain and simple. He never intervened per se in his life. He never worked to make Esau holier or the nation holier. He let Esau live in the abundance of his blessings exactly how Esau wanted to live. Now, on the other hand, how did the father manifest his love towards Jacob? More or less, you can say God beat Jacob every single day. God was all in Jacob's life in an abundance way. He would not allow Jacob to continue to live as Jacob was. What was Jacob's name? What was Jacob's name at birth? A deceiver. And while he was going to, while it was going to take a while, and it did, it took a while, the father was going to change Jacob from a deceiver towards his holiness to a planter in his holiness. God was not going, in his sovereign will, allow Jacob to be Jacob. Remember the encounter, the wrestling, the physical torment that Jacob went through, that God put, took Jacob through. Because in his sovereign will, he was going to get Jacob from being this deceiver from birth to now being a planter of his nation and of his children in his holiness. 
Here's the Father's work within His holiness. He works despite ourselves in and through our free will. God's sovereign will will never be disrupted in His sovereign will. Now, His sovereign will for our lives, can we disrupt that? Yes, without a doubt. We can impede on God's sovereign will for our lives, but we cannot impede on God's sovereign will for His children. He will work in and through us by way of Christ and the Holy Spirit when it comes to His holiness. Consider this. Oh, wait a second. I'm going to get ahead of myself. Yeah, hold on this. Yeah, let me go into here. For, I'm going to get to a bigger point. Back, think of our salvation. God's not here just for us. God works through us in His creation for His glory. The byproduct of his glory can be the ushering in of our glorification, which comes by way uh, you know, of our salvation in Christ. So the purpose of God's plan, the way God's working through all of creation, ultimately through his sovereign will is for his glory, not just our personal gain. It's by his divine grace and his love that he chose and allows us opportunity to be a part of it. Once we get saved, does God ever hinder us being a part of his eternal plan? No, he wants us a part of his eternal plan. Preaching the gospel, living the truth, producing fruit, being a mirror, be Christ-like that will show others the promise and the hope of glory to come. So it's not that he doesn't want us involved, but it's all by way of him. Consider this. Have you ever stopped to consider the Father can save us from the depths of eternal hell, but He can't stop us from sinning? Think of that. All-powerful to save our soul eternally. All-powerful to create all that He created, and yet through His free will of His sovereign design, He can't stop us from sinning. If we choose to live selfishly, we can choose to live selfishly it disrupts his sovereign will in our lives but it does not disrupt god's sovereign will as a whole case of point we've heard the term i've been saved we heard that we uttered ourselves we've been saved but saved from what have we been saved by the way we act out in our lust in our greed in our pride do we not still possess those in our spirit even though we're saved we still have to walk in that sin at times. We still struggle with that sin at times, as well as others. So he, so a believer can easily be caught up in this reactionary, if you want to call it theology, against this heresy. We can be so quick to defend and acknowledge the doctrine of justification, our salvation, just as if I've never sinned. We're quick to utter and want to point and live in justification, yet we don't want to take the doctrine or the theology of regeneration, which leads to our sanctification. There's a big difference between the two. Big difference. Justification is done by the redeeming work of Christ on the cross. We had nothing to do with that. It's a free gift. It's grace. Getting what we don't deserve. And by way of accepting that gift from God, we, then we receive, by the, you know, through the doctrine, the promise of justification, eternal salvation in Christ. But yet, we're still our old nature, are we not? 
We just have a promise of eternal home. Now it gets to the point of sanctification, setting ourselves apart to the glory of God. That's when the regeneration comes. That's when now the Holy Spirit's able to work through us and in us and take us out of that old nature that really produced no fruit and showed no imagery of Christ because we weren't saved. But even at the immediate step of justification, our salvation, there's still no image of Christ within us. It's that sanctification that we get regenerated through that brings about fruit in our life, that brings about the Christ-likeness, that allows to see God's hand in our life in his sovereign will for eternity working with us and through us in the picture of Christ. It's not just being a new creature, it's about acting like a new creature. About acting like a new creature. Now let me read this passage here. We're going to have to read some verses here, so it should be on the screen. So we're going to look at Ezekiel 36, 22 and that should be through 32. And uh, so we'll go. It says, Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God. Now I want you to count the personal pronouns as we go through here. Okay? B and I. Count them with me in your, in your head. Saith the Lord, I do not this for whose sake? For your sakes, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whether you, wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the, uh, the brethren, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of the nations and will bring you unto your own land. Then will I, will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Will I cleanse you? A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgment and do them, and you shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will save you from all your uncleanliness and I will call for the corn and I will increase it and lay no fam uh, famine upon you and I will multiply the fruit of the trees and increase the field that you shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen then shall you remember your what? your own evil ways and your doings that were not good and shall loathe yourselves in your own spirit for your iniquities for your abomination not for your sakes do I do this saith the Lord but known unto you be ashamed and confounded in your old ways O house of Israel I believe it should have been somewhere around 18 personal pronouns 19, 18, 19, one of us is right. So, a lot, to say the least. Does God not make it, paint this picture of Israel, does he not make it abundantly clear that his sovereign will is what's at work here? 
in everything that we're ever accomplished in our life, from our point of justification through our sanctification, our regeneration, will we ever accomplish that in the flesh? Never. Never. We will not get anywhere in the flesh. The Scripture says our flesh is opposed to God. How are we going to grow in regeneration? How are we going to get through our sanctification? How are we going to bring about the fruits of the Spirit and preach the gospel and see the kingdom of God grow in the flesh? God just told us 18, 19 times, you ain't going to do it. I'm going to do it. Now, if you want me to do it through you and with you, now we can get somewhere. But that's your choice. That's Todd's choice. God's going to do what God's going to do. God gives Todd a silver platter based on his justification in my life that I chose to accept. God says, okay, we have an opportunity. You and me both. We. It's a partnership with God. We have an opportunity here. And I'm going to give it to you on a spiritual platter. And I will do everything I told the nation of Israel. I will keep my word. Now, if you choose not to walk in that, if you choose to blaze your own path, if you choose, choose to do your sanctification your way, on your schedule, let me know how that works out for you. That's not me to you. I'm paraphrasing maybe how I think God talks to Todd. Well, I'll stick around and see how that works out for you. We must take to heart and humbly examine our position and come to a knowledge that our regeneration, our sanctification, is solely in the hands of the Father. He told us in verse 25, we're washed by him we only are what we are because of christ and because of the holy spirit that dwells within us and because of the love of the father for us looking at ezekiel 36 just like our salvation for nine verses through there we have no participation did you notice that nothing it wasn't until the 10th verse, till the 31st verse, that God says, then you, paraphrasing, will come to a knowledge and understanding of who and what you are. That's how we get involved. We get involved, it's kind of a little bit like Job. For 41 verses, Job button heads with God. Then about the 42th chapter, paraphrasing, God says, hey, Job, I've had enough of you. Would you shut up and sit down? I'm going to talk for a little bit. All right, go ahead, God. What do you got? Um, I'll listen. What's the first thing he asked Job? Where? First word, where? Puts Job in a corner. Where were you when I put the stars in the heaven? And the more God talked, the more Job had to deal with verse whatever it is. I think I put verse 31. He started had to come into his own and realize, wow. I was nowhere. And I had nothing to do with it. And the more God talked for the next two and a half chapters, Job came to himself and realized he was only what he was. 
and ever became what he is because of God. And because he came into us, not just a little, don't get me wrong. I don't think anybody in here could withstand it as well. But when Job finally came underneath a little bit of pressure in life and it turned upside down, he spends 42 chapters, 41 chapters, griping, complaining, and almost trying to do it his way. The preaching of salvation without the preaching of regeneration or sanctification makes for a dangerous believer. Preaching of salvation, justification, without the preaching of sanctification, our regeneration, makes for a dangerous believer. When it comes to glorification, our eternal process, to live in salvation alone only serves who? Me. For me to get in my, accept my justification and just stay in my justification and from that point on take my get out of hell free card, take my salvation, stick it in my spiritual pocket and stay right there does nothing for anybody but me. It doesn't. Does that do anything for God that I get saved? Does it change heaven that I get saved? They rejoice, we know. Because Todd gets his name written in the Lamb's Book of Life, all of heaven didn't stop because this Todd guy is coming someday. I don't want to bust your bubble, but they're no more excited about you getting there either in the sense of it changing eternity. Eternity is going to be glorious with a new believer or without a new believer. Is our glorification based on somebody else getting saved? No, it's based on the promise of what Christ gave us and God's promised us. But when I choose to stay there and I just want to get that get out of hell free card and I get stuck in my justification, that serves only Todd. To live, though, and to grow in my sanctification, my regeneration, glorifies the one who saved me. Now it becomes purposeful. Now it becomes powerful. Why? Because as I come to myself and realize what God's done in my life, and I humble myself and I surrender myself to His sovereign will for my life, and I let Christ or the power of the Holy Spirit sanctify me, regenerate me as this new creature that I've become, the more I do that, the more fruit I produce, and the more the world sees Christ living in me, which will lead to others to find hope in Christ. Now it's purposeful for His glory, and not just purposeful for keeping my butt out of hell. Let me ask you this. Take this in the right light. Understand where I'm coming from. Who knows that I'm a football coach? A few. Okay. I took a little break, but I've coached high school football collectively about 15 years, 14 years. I've been involved in teams that have won multiple state championships. Started with Brad and Peggy's boy, Nate. Got to see two of our own boys go through it and achieve it. I've received personal awards as a coach with state recognition. I've amassed a measurable amount of success coaching high school football on a very competitive level in a small school. 
But why does nobody really know that? Now, how many people do you think know that I'm a pastor and I have a heartbeat for souls? Because I choose to live in a way that emphasizes one and not so much the other. You see my point? Don't take this out a lot that I'm bragging about myself. I work hard to try to be humble. It takes a lot of work. <laughs> but it, uh, Sam tells me anyway. Uh, <laughs> my point is, I enjoy football. Needless to say, or I wouldn't coach it. Football's a release for me. You know, how do you put anything else on your plate? Because it's just an escape for me. It's my hobby. I get to refresh myself and have fun. But very few people, when I say, I had no idea you do that. Why? Because I live in the image of Christ that dwells within me. I don't live in a secondary career. I don't live in my money. I don't live in my success. I don't live in my vacations. I don't, don't, I mean, I'm just telling you, I don't live and portray an imagery that's anything other than Christ in my life. Why? Because I know who the I is in my life. And I'm crystal clear on verse 31 on what I am towards the great I am. Here's my challenge. We can't be re regenerated without surrender. Go back to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 again. Therefore, if, if any man, what's that next word? Be. We're going to look at this word in a second. If any man be in Christ, then he is a new creature. I know I added the then. We're not supposed to add or take away, but just for clarity. Then he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are what? I'll become new. This word be, in the Greek word, it's a preposition. Prepositions, they, 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 they link, you know, they, they link a, together a subject, you know, to a noun. In this passage, I'll see it's Christ. The imagery, the, the noun is Christ. So if you be in Christ, then something comes by way of that. Okay, what does this word be? It's the word in, E-N, in the Greek. It means a fixed position, giving holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, giving holy towards something. Doesn't mean a passing relationship, does it? Doesn't mean a wandering by. Doesn't mean an occasional acquaintance. No, somebody that chooses to be fixed in a fixed position, wholly given, fullness, all that we have given to something. Now, this word become is a Greek word, genomi, uh, and it's a verb. As Brother Brad and I were talking about this yesterday. It's a verb. It's in the perfect tense. It's indicative. It's active in voice, and it's third-person singular. Now, I know when Brad uses these things all the time, there, there's great meaning beside it. We're not just trying to act like scholars of Greek or Hebrew. No, there's a purpose why these conditions or situations are important to point these out. The third person is singular means it's not specific to me or you. It, it's to everybody. It applies to everybody. Okay? Now, the point is, or the emphasis here is it's active in voice. It's active in voice, meaning it's a cause to be regenerated, to be 
assembled like. So when you look at this word become, what it means is, yes, why we are called to and why the work was done by Christ, and because of Christ we have become this new creature. And when we choose to be in Christ, then we become, by way of this promise, a new creature. But the context we can look here, the question is, are we living like that? Are we choosing to be this new creature? Are we choosing to be in Christ, to stay in Christ, to be regenerated, to assemble ourselves or allow ourselves to be assembled in His likeness? Or is Jesus somebody we just tap into when we need Him? And we're comfortable being who we are. It scares me that God allows me to be me. It scares me more so that sometimes I think it's okay for me to be me. You say, well, living like that's too hard. This holy end, giving myself, surrendering. It's hard. It's costly. It's burdensome. Feels like it's going to kill me. Well, good, then die. Die. Just like the scriptures tell us, die to yourself. Did not Paul say that? I die daily. I purposely die daily to myself so I can be assembled with Christ. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's sacrificial. Yes, it redirects our, our vision and our goals and our wants and our desires. All those are of the flesh. Brother Brad illustrated that in Sunday school. It's of the flesh. It has no eternal purpose. It's only when we die to ourselves that we become, assemble ourselves in Christ. We allow the Holy Spirit to, to sanctify us and regenerate us into that image of Christ that we truly start living. It expresses the true essence of the Christian life. What does it mean to be a Christian? Beyond accepting Christ. Well, now what do I do? Ah, you're already a new creature, are you not? You already have an eternal life that will never die. Now our job is die in the flesh. Die to yourself. Allow the Holy Spirit to assemble you in the likeness of Christ. That's the essence of the Christian life. One of man's biggest faults is our unwillingness to be regenerated, re-sanctified, or not re-sanctified, regenerated and sanctified in the image of Christ because we're too stinking selfish not to do it our way. Because I don't think we can get around that. I don't think we can get around the selfish mindset, pride, that no matter how much the New Testament tells us to die to ourselves and the emphasis on sanctification, we don't want to go through that. The dying part's too costly. We don't want to truly 
or don't truly want our lives to be rebuilt, restructured, redesigned in the image of Christ. Oh, he can visit. We can hang out. I'll definitely get with him when I have some needs and some prayers. But this rebuilding, redesigning, restructuring, not all, not all on board with that. Our struggle today with Christianity is that the believer is more focused and concerned with getting involved with and being like a particular church rather than getting involved in being like Christ who saved the church. Get text all the time. People come through here for whatever reason. Glory to God, they do. And they leave and find out, oh, we found this over here. Well, they got that over there. They got this program. We're going here for this reason. Why don't we quit trying to find churches and try to find Christ? Maybe that changed some things. But we're more focused on churches than we're more focused on the flesh of what we want out of the church, not what Christ did for us as a church. In Psalms 26, verse 8, David declared in the Psalms, we know David had it right. He says, O Lord, I live, I love the inhabitation of your house in the peace where your glory dwells. Goes on in Psalms 27, 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. See, David knew what it meant to surrender. Probably, you probably ask David, you'd probably be like Paul. Yeah, I was the chief of sinners. David understood that because David understood the I of the great I am. And David knew what he was. And David said, hey, I, I, just, I just want to dwell in the presence of the house of the Lord. A believer cannot pursue holiness through this world. This world is a stumbling block towards God's holiness. It's only through separation. It's only through the sanctification that separates us from this world that draws us into the image of Christ. If not, we get entrapped or we entrap ourselves in seeking and defining our own worth by our own path. And that's through the flesh and only thing that does is bring chains that burden us and entrap us and imprison us. Our greatest enemy is our pride and our self-will that we struggle lining ourselves up with this book. That's man's greatest challenge. Is struggling in the flesh to surrender themselves to the words in this book. It's scary to know the Father lets me be me. It terrifies me. Sometimes I think it's okay for me to be me. Two passages, and I'll close with something. Psalm 73, 6. 
pride compasseth them about as a what? Pride brings weight, imprisonment, bondage. Now watch what it says in Revelation 20, verse 1 and 2. I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great what? Chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, the old serpent, Satan, which is the devil, Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Don't think it's strange that the very thing that will bound up Satan is not the same thing Satan will use against us to bound us up in the flesh. The same chain. If the enemy and Satan approached us with a chain, be it addiction that destroys our flesh, that robs our spirit, that blinds our mind, that causes divorce, that ruins families, that'd be an easy fight to fight, would it not? It'd be easy to avoid the chain, would it not? Don't want anything to do with that. No, no, keep that enemy. Keep that Satan. You're not putting any chain around me or binding me. It's that same chain that Satan allows us to struggle with. But he can't get our attention with the chain. We're not that foolish. We're not that selfish. If the chain's defined about what it will do and what it is in our lives, nope, I want nothing to do with it, no part of it. But see, the problem is, he doesn't use the chain. He uses a link. And he presents these links as choices for our lives. And the link itself is not burdensome. Is it not shinier than the chain? And we take the links in our lives. And we choose to live by our flesh. And we live in it for a season. And for a season it says it's good, and it is. I don't care what Brad and Todd said. It, it didn't do what they said it do. Nothing came to an end. I'm still alive. My family's still functioning. We're paying our bills. I still love Jesus. It didn't hurt anything. And so we hold on to it. And Satan comes along and gives us another link, and another link, and another link, and another link. And then before we know it, we built the same chain that our Lord will bound up Satan with for eternity in our own lives because we chose during our sanctification to choose by way of the flesh in our pride, in our selfishness we chose our way we chose our career we chose our goals we chose our hobbies the things we want of the flesh 
then we get entrapped in it. And it hinders God's sovereign will working our, in our lives. Oh, it may not destroy you. You may continue in your career and have everything you have and function and come to church. But I would argue with you there's a good chance you're not where and what Christ wants out of you. Because if we're struggling with focusing on the world and Christ at the same time, the Bible makes it very clear you can't serve two masters. And sometimes the link is on our phone and on our computer screen. And we click on links we shouldn't be clicking on. We choose what we are. We choose where we're at. We got believers that are struggling in life. Because they choose to keep on accepting the links in their life. Whatever that link is, link is, is not the point. The point is, it's the links that we take and we choose the links instead of surrendering and choosing Christ. And we got family members and loved ones close to us and we see their lives in peril. We see their lives struggling and marriages are suffering and just emotional turmoil and roller coasters why because you'll never see them throwing down the links they keep on holding on to the links keep on walking in chains and they choose not to get into church get underneath the influence of god's word and walk in the sanctification that god has for them and be regenerated in the likeness of christ all because of little links that we choose joshua 24 what is it? 17, I think. Joshua at the end of his life. Writing his last letter or speaking to his leaders at the end. The famous passage. As for me and my house, I will choose to serve the Lord. We can't be sanctified in the flesh. Only the great I am that Ezekiel 36 shows us can regenerate us and sanctify us in his image. We choose that or we choose the links of life. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the power of your word that... Uh, from Sunday school this morning that got us thinking down this same path in this same life. Same life. What's truly important in life? What's not vanity? Ezekiel 36 makes it very clear that when we choose you, the great I am, when we, we make those choices to put our lives, surrender it to your sovereign will for our lives, then we see purpose. We see your power and your healing as we sing this morning flow through our lives. But Father, when we choose those little bitty links that Satan throws our way, no matter how shiny they are, even if for a season they don't derail us or per se do anything to us, we have to be aware that we're building 
a chain. It will be the very chain that bounds up Satan. It will bind up our lives and imprison us. This is about your sovereign will. You save, you deliver, you sanctify for your glory, for your kingdom. The essence of Christianity is, do we want to be a part of that? Do we want to build your kingdom or do we want to build our lives? We look at churches around America. I talk to pastors every single week. Church participation is declining. In our own church, we have seasons of folks that for married of reasons are in and out of church, serving, using their spiritual gift, ministering to others, praying with others, lifting each other up. We're not here for whatever reason. Not about church. Not about just being physically at church. It's about being in your perfect will. Church is part of the big picture. But it's a tremendous platform to launch us and to send us out for your purpose and for your glory. As the music plays, the altar's open. Maybe we need to be honest about some links that we've been choosing over Christ and His will. choices this, this kind of makes it simple <clears throat> either we choose to stay a believer or we choose to become a Christian you say well they're the same thing they are not every Christian is a believer but not every believer is a Christian you know they weren't called Christians until they started acting Christ-like. So their believers are going to heaven, but they're not Christians. And so we, we've always had one of two choices, each and every one of us. We either choose to stay a believer, or we choose to become a Christian. That's what Brother Todd said. So uh, let's take that to heart, take it with us throughout the week, and uh, let's make the choice to become Christ-like, not just simply saved. Amen? Father, thank you for our time here this morning, for the message. Bless these good folks. Thank you for them in Christ's name. Amen.